Hey everybody and welcome back to the Off The Key Podcast. I'm your host Mac and today we are having another episode of Off The Dome. But this time it'll just be James and I. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Very, what, what a what a charismatic introduction. I know. James. I know. Man, I'm floored. Charisma is my middle name. Dude, do you have a 10 in charisma? When you played Fallout New Vegas, did you get a 10 in charisma? Yes, of course. Every time. Speech 100. Yes, it's the most necessary skill. If <laughs> if you if you don't convince the legate and general Oliver to fuck off using just words, are you really playing the game? Nope. Plus, he'll just push your shit in anyway, so like... Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> For anyone who's ever played Fallout New Vegas, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we're going off on a tangent now. <laughs> man, we're, we, have, we just started and we've gone on a tangent. <laughs> hey, this is Off the Dome. This is how it works. Today, James and I were talking, you know, we both work at the same place, and we just kind of felt like doing an Off the Dome. What kind of spawned this episode was actually a discussion point that James had. We were talking about music and in general, the state of modern music and just all the different genres and stuff that's flowing in and out. I made the comment, because this was something that I uh, remembered from my days when I was playing in a band, you don't really hear the blues much anymore, at least not anything new coming out of the blues. Like There's this guy that said, no one plays the blues anymore. That was cool to hear. And I'm like, really? No one plays the blues anymore. I don't know about no one, but you really don't hear it that often in popular modern music now. No, not really. I mean, there's like hints of it, you know. Uh, yeah, a lot of music, really. I told you today before as well, like, blues is the foundation of modern music. I will die on that hill. Explain, elaborate. So, blues, it came out of the slavery era. That's where it originated. It started in the Deep South, very much a African-American tradition. You can hear, there's different types and variations of blues, but probably one of the most famous would be Delta Blues. Of course, that's where a lot of the old legends like Robert Johnson and Sunhouse and all those guys came out of, out of Louisiana, Mississippi. From there on, Robert Johnson influenced a great deal of musicians, guitarists especially like Eric Clapton, Keith Richards, Ronnie Wood, Jeff Beck, Jimmy Page, like all of these guys were directly inspired by Robert Johnson and all of the Delta Blues that came out of that era. So it's directly influenced by the old blues and the old soul from back in the 30s, the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. You know, that era of music is the foundation for modern music. There's a few albums I could highlight for sure Smokestack Lightning, Lightning. Great album. Of course, we'll listen to Robert Johnson, you know, the complete recordings. It's not exactly an album per se, but it's more of a collection of recordings. Kind of a compilation. Yeah. He just recorded a bunch of songs in the 30s, the late 30s, in a room just by himself and his guitar and a microphone. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's how it is for a lot of older music, especially in like the 20s, 30s, 40s, like a lot of musicians weren't really putting out full projects, more just like groups of songs that may have come from like a recording session or, yeah, you know, an odd single here and there. Albums, I feel like, didn't really become like a big form of, I guess, studio recording until maybe what, like the... The 60s. The 60s. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's some in the 50s, obviously. But yeah, like, yeah. But like, it wasn't like the 
the primary medium for consuming an album until like around that time. I'd say. Yeah, especially in blues and rock. Like country, they had some albums from the 50s and even earlier. The blues and rock really didn't start to formulate into albums as like full art projects, you know, until the 60s when all the big rock bands came along, the British Invasion, you know, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, and the Who. They all came in their early 60s. Beatles, of course, coming first, and then the Stones and the Who like a year or two after. Blues is definitely a weak spot for me. I hate to say this, but a lot of uh, like 50s and like 60s blues and soul, not so much jazz. I'm definitely more knowledgeable in that area, but... Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always say this, and I've always had this sentiment, it's not about when you got there, it's just that you got there. Oh, yeah. With, you know? Yes, like, exactly. Whenever I discover an album, like, I hate to admit this, but I actually haven't heard What's Going On by Marvin Gaye until this year. Travesty. I know, I know. You all can uh, flame me for that in the comments, but it's All true. the boomers will. Oh, yeah, all the boomers will. <laughs> but uh, it's true. I mean, I, I actually have not listened to a full Marvin Gaye project until this year. And I'm kicking myself for it. I wish I had done it yeah. way sooner. You've been missing out, man. I'm telling you. I don't want to spoil too much, but you know, what's going on has become one of my favorite albums of all time. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like mad at myself for, for not hearing it sooner. <laughs> yeah. And, and Marvin Gaye is another one of those guys. That's like a foundational artist for a genre, soul and R and B. You take all these modern R&B artists and soul artists, you can trace their influence all the way back to Marvin Gaye. Almost every single one of them will list Marvin Gaye as an influence. And you, the, the same thing happens with the blues. And like you take Jimi Hendrix or Stevie Ray Vaughan or Eric Clapton or Jimmy Page, some of, four of the greatest guitarists of all time. You can trace their influence, their inspiration all the way back to those blues musicians like Jimi Hendrix, heavily inspired and influenced by Buddy Guy. Stevie Ray Vaughan, influenced also by Buddy Guy, but also Albert King and Freddie King and all, Robert Johnson, of course. Same thing for Eric Clapton, heavily influenced by Robert Johnson. Jimmy Page, he was heavily, heavily inspired by Robert Johnson and all those other blues artists from back in the 30s and 20s. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll get to that, um, but I feel like we're probably going to have to... So we were also discussing this, um, you know, when we get into these deeper dives of these artists that may not necessarily have, like, a consistent album that you can point to uh, making, like, curated playlists with what we think are their essential tracks, maybe some hidden gems, stuff that's worth checking out for that artist when we do that deep dive. And that's something I'm very excited to do. Uh, we, we talked about James Brown today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Doing, doing that guy. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, most of I his mean, stuff is, like, live recordings. Um, yes. I mean, he's got some albums, but that's not really representative of, like, James Brown as an artist, if you ask me. Yeah, I, I think you have to go through his whole, like, recordings. He has, he just has so much, <laughs> you know. I don't know if you've looked on his Spotify. But, oh, it's absurd. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time I tried to get into James Brown, and I was, like, looking at his catalog, and I was, like, where do I start? Where do I fucking start? <laughs> it was kind of the it was kind of the same reaction I had to Miles Davis. 
Yeah, like, and Zappa. And Zappa, too. Zappa, I did not get into Zappa for the longest time because I did not work, know where to start. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at his... <laughs> I hate to admit this, but I looked at his fucking catalog on Spotify, and I was like, I can't. <laughs> I don't I don't know where to go. So, someone help me. Someone say just start at the beginning. But, and then uh, and then James said, "Oh yeah, just listen to Apostrophe and Hot Rats." And I was like, "Okay, great. I have a starting point." Yeah, it, that's that's a good place to start. And you can go earlier too, back to the Mother's Mothers of Invention days, which are also awesome. True, true, true. Yeah. Um, and Zappa is another guy that has some awesome live recordings. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people really uh, underappreciate live music, like live albums in general. There was actually a very beautiful live album that I heard recently. Not recently, like last year. It was um, Fleet Fox's A Very Lonely Solstice. It's a live album, but it is incredible. Like if somebody wants like a good, solid start to maybe get into Fleet Foxes, but doesn't know where to start, I would probably tell them start with like self-titled or... Maybe even helplessness blues, but okay. A very a, I'll need to do that. <laughs> a very lonely solstice is a an interesting entry point because it highlights a lot of my personal favorite Fleet Foxes songs, like helplessness blues. I believe there is a cut of. I'm actually gonna have to double check that. Hold on. I'll have to listen to it. I haven't mentioned this much, but I'm actually a pretty big fan of like folk music, but I'm pretty picky about it because a lot of folk music actually sucks. <laughs> Like, okay, so give an example of what sucks. Come this on. Is, this is kind of a cold take, but I do not care for Mumford and Sons at all. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's got like a lot of the modern stuff, you know, like Maestranza from Shore, which it's not their best album, but it's still pretty good. It's still pretty good. I'd recommend mm. it. But it's got like Tiger Mountain Peasant Song, Helplessness Blues, A Long Way Past the Past. If you need to keep time on me, like a lot of their like big, big hits, like a lot of my personal favorites too. And a great entry point. If you ask me, it's a little different from the studio versions, but um, Robin Pecknold is a fantastic vocalist. He carries those live performances. See this, this is where I'm weak. A lot of modern music. And I you, think you're you, helping me with that. You are an old man in I a am. young man's body. <laughs> I'm a boomer. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm not sorry, but still. <laughs> no, it's because you, it's, I mean. It has kind of put me out of touch with my generation, unfortunately. I was going to say, I mean, you're not much older than me, so what? I mean, we're both basically millennials. Yeah, we are. We are. <laughs> now, that being said, there is a lot of music from when I grew up that is fucking garbage. <laughs> yeah. I was talking about this today with James, but like the majority of new metal yeah, Trash. a lot of it's like garbage. Dookie. We are not corn fans here. I'm sorry. I'm not. I am not sorry <laughs> at all. So like my my girlfriend and I wanted to go see Code Orange live. Right. And we found out they were touring with corn and immediately changed our minds. <laughs> God. We might talk about corn on here. I <laughs> will probably will just just to take a shit on them. I don't know, man. I, you know, I don't like. Look, you know, it's all subjective. Like what you like, but we're still gonna shit on them. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm also gonna take a steaming pile of shit on one of the albums we're gonna be talking about. Oh yeah. In the next recording. Me too. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I won't spoil it, but I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you what we're listening to. Uh, we're listening to the new Smile record. 
I don't remember the name of it right now, but it's some long fucking title. It's basically Radiohead's side project. It literally has like Tom York and Johnny Greenwood, which are the core of Radiohead. It's Radiohead. It might as well be a Radiohead album. Yeah, they have like a different drummer, and then like I think they're using the same producer that they've used for like the majority of Radiohead's recordings. Like they literally could have just put it. <laughs> just make it a radio just make it a fuck. Just... I mean they haven't had an album in like yeah six years at this point we'll see I also haven't mentioned this either but I'm actually a pretty big Radiohead fan yeah you've mentioned it to me yeah but not on the podcast yeah. really I mean I'm you know I get all the memes and I love making fun of Radiohead and Tommy York too but they're still a great band I, I, did you uh did you actually like listen to any of their stuff not yet no. not yet okay no I figure you'll probably do that before the recording Yes. But yeah, I went I went back and I did, man, I did a bunch of deep discog dives this week. Like I went back and listened to all of Radiohead stuff. I went back and listened to Kid Cudi because of the album we're reviewing. Well, that gives uh, it we're away. also going to be doing Indie Cud. All right, we won't spoil it. We won't spoil just it. Just don't, yeah. <laughs> just uh, tune in. Just tune in. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got to say about it. But yeah, uh, Kid Cudi, I went, did a deep discog dive of him. Uh, also, you did by EA extension, too. I did Kanye West. Yeah. And I've actually changed my opinion on his albums. You know, like I, several of his albums. I, I did not find out until recently that you pronounce it Yay. Yeah, yeah. He legally changed his name to Yay. I just always said Yee. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was just funnier to me. Oh, is that the new Yee project? <laughs> Bro. I just thought it was funny that his name was <laughs> Yee <laughs> on Twitter. No, that's literally his like legal name now, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> that's hilarious, though. That's great. But yeah, I, I went back and listened to Kanye's discography today. You know, it's the first time I've done like a proper... You know, I go back to a lot of Kanye albums because, like a lot of people, I love Kanye. I mean, despite his shortcomings in the past few years, he's put out multiple classics multiple great albums and he's one of the largest forces in music and over the past probably fucking like what 20 years 15 years something like that when when did he put out his first project 2004 yeah it's been almost 20 years but yeah before that he was making he was making beats for like jay-z and a few other guys yeah no he's been a force in music since he came around and that's rare in my opinion he almost fell off probably after 808s and heartbreaks now that's a good album but it was a massive stylistic shift, and a lot of people were not crazy about it. They just weren't ready for it. Admittedly, it was very ahead of its time. That album influenced a lot of music in the 2010s. You'll know it like, when you listen to it. You'll know exactly what I mean. I'm sure. Yeah. You, I'm sure you've heard "Heartless," though. You, you I mean, have. You have definitely heard "Heartless." What the song? Yes. I probably. It's from 808s and Heartbreaks. I probably have. I just, I would have to hear it to recognize it. I'll play it for you later. I'm not going to give away my rankings, but they have actually changed drastically. It's nothing too controversial. Like, I was talking to my buddy the other day. So I went to a JPEG Mafia concert uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was talking to my buddy who was there. He was going ape shit. And he was like, oh, yeah, I was going nuts at that concert. (laughs) I got punched in the face twice. I almost lost my glasses, and I almost lost my shoe. Also, my girlfriend got, like, sweeped away in the crowd and had to, like, go to the back. Yeah, she was not having it. I don't blame her, but yeah. I was, man, she was fine because uh, somebody else was with her. Man, I went nuts. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I Like, there was a mosh pit I mean, at one point. Uh, <laughs> that, that, 
That's how actually there were be. multiple mosh pits. Yeah. At one point, uh, JPEG Mafia like got everybody to like make a giant circle, and he like turned off the lights and started playing. Um, uh, what was it? Uh, Baby, I'm bleeding. I went nuts. <laughs> I lost my voice too. <laughs> All I gotta say is, if you are a fan of JPEG Mafia, see him live. It is so worth it. He's such a great performer, and they're such great energy. Some of the greatest experiences I've ever had in my life has been seeing bands live. I've seen Rush live, and that was such an amazing experience. ACDC, Iron Maiden, Dream Theater and Iron Maiden, actually. Dream Theater opened for Iron Maiden, and this was, this was when they still had uh, Mike Portnoy playing on drums. They did a cover of an Iron Maiden song just before they came on. Yeah, I've only seen Rush and Dream Theater technically, even though they were opening for a band, so it wasn't really a full Dream Theater experience. I would love to see another band live. Like, Tool would probably be fun to see. Man, we get to see all the sweaty Tool fans. Yes. Oh, boy. <laughs> but, well, <You> the, know. <laughs> apparently they have they put on well, some good shows. I'm, I'm sure, but I, I just imagine, like, the yeah, audience... Be- <laughs> You know, they come in with like a blackboard and like while they're playing the music, uh, the Tool fans are like <laughs> writing on the board with their chalk. Yeah. Explaining why every single Tool song is so <laughs> complex and deep and interesting. They're they're writing all the time signatures that Danny is playing. Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, you know, he switches to, to seven, eight here and he does the fucking. And at this point, he's playing three time signatures at once. At the same time. And then he does equations while he's doing it. <laughs> he divides the time signatures by two. They call Danny the octopus. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's, that's, that's his nickname. He's the because, octopus. Yeah, because he can do so many things at once. It's like he has several limbs. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, Tool, they're an impressive group of musicians. I just really hate how... Tool's fan base, and they've even acknowledged they're this. they're very cringy. They're really annoying, and they think Tool is like the deepest, most complex music on the planet. And yeah, it is complex. It is deep, and it can be pretty interesting. But a lot of times, it's very self indulgent. Yeah, well, it's it's really just the fan base just being pretentious and holier than thou. That's really the whole thing. I'm a Tool fan, but like, I, I like damn, Tool they're too. insufferable. I enjoy Tool. I'm not saying I don't. The other fans are insufferable. I mean. Speaking of annoying fan bases, Kanye West. Yes. You ever been to a, like a Kanye West forum or like a Kanye West subreddit? I uh, can't say that I have. Some of the hardest dick writers I have ever met in my life. But I have never heard so many people nut over this man so hard simultaneously in a circle with a photo in the middle of Kanye West. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to let you finish. <laughs> I will let you finish. But... <laughs> oh fuck! Oh, uh, another God. classic cut. See, was that the moment when he when he started going crazy? No, it was after his mom died. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, he took that pretty hard, and uh, he's he's not really like recovered since. I mean, that's understandable. Something like that can really weigh on you. Oh yeah, I can't even imagine what it'd be like if my mom died. Right now, I don't know how I'd react. The death of a close family member can really change a person. Oh, for sure. And, and you know, and you know, Kanye. Like we were talking about this earlier, but Kanye is a a genuine and likable guy at some t- at at points. Like he can be very relatable. He get you sometimes. You'll get these moments of him, you know, just being a person and 
not this like legendary uh rap icon hip hop celebrity you know and and I think those are the moments that make people like really want to root for Kanye in his early career that was 100% the case like I you want to root for the guy at the end of college dropout it's this like 13 minute story about how he got signed to Rockefeller and like met Jay-Z and all of these other big artists and how he was selling beats and stuff like that and you know, living in a small, crappy apartment in Chicago with his mom, and she was supporting her him the whole time, and it really makes you want to care about Kanye West and root for him. And I think that's why so many people continue to pay attention is because Kanye has had these flashes of brilliance, and we still remember those days when he was just, you know, this likable producer guy trying to make it. And you can definitely see why he had such a strong connection with his mom, because Growing up, chasing your dream, and your mom is there supporting you, literally. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's the pivotal. whole way. I mean, you know, some parents will be like, "Oh, fuck that," you know, like, yeah, get exactly. a real job, get a degree, and and go pursue something that's actually worthwhile. And his mom, I mean, if you, I don't know if you've seen, well, I definitely know you haven't, but the uh, the genius documentary that came out on Netflix um, and highlights Kanye's relationship with his mom, and she she believed him in him wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. 100% no matter what. That can really change that, a person. That's at least part of why, that's a big part of why he is where he is today. Yeah, and I mean, he brings his mother up in his music all the time. She had such a strong and meaningful impact on his life, and I can understand why it's really seemed to shatter him to his core. It can't be overstated just how important it is to have someone or a group of people yeah, support behind you, you know. Especially when you're taking big risks, like trying to make it in the music industry. That is that is a big fucking risk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it takes balls, man. I Like anybody out there that is trying to make it in the music industry, trying to get by and make ends meet while trying to pursue their dreams. Like that's, I've said this before, but you know, massive Coney, ballsy move. Keep fucking going. Keep going, keep pushing, and hopefully you get there. And hopefully we'll talk about you here. On the Off the Key podcast. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> I do feel like we've come a long way since our first recordings. Uh, you know, we haven't really dived into the early process of Off the Key podcast and kind of how it came to be. So what? <laughs> you just came up to me and was like, hey, I want to do a podcast. Want to yeah, join me? You know, I, I've been thinking and I'm really passionate about music and I love talking about music and my friend circle, a lot of them love to talk about music too. And we love to discuss music. And I was like, man, why don't we just like put this in a recording? Yeah. Just fucking record this shit. You know, I, I hate to say it, but you know, I've, I felt inspired by a lot of, uh, internet critics, a lot of music critics and, and, you know, review outlets that kind of made me want to pursue it because I love talking about music. I love discussing, you know, art and music and what makes music cool and what makes music bad. And this is a really just a platform for, me and the boys to do it exactly and just have fun along the way you know it's, it's all about having fun really yeah you know like james and garrett and uh, freddie who hasn't been available for many recordings because he lives in another town but is still a member of the podcast that will be introduced he actually came up with the name we discuss music all the time like this and i thought fuck just, it man yeah just put it down on recordings and just do it a lot of times that's just all it takes i'm fucking doing this 
and I will admit it's been a lot more work than I anticipated and I was definitely not prepared. You know, I, I've always loved turning people on to music that they enjoy and that they love. When when somebody comes back and tells me like, hey, I checked out that artist you listened to. I really loved it and they're a part of my regular listening catalog now. Like I, I love listening to them. I want to buy their albums and stuff like that. Like that, it gives me serotonin. Hit that pleasure center. <laughs> We started with a lot of practice recordings initially because, you know, we're, we're new. We haven't really done it before. We wanted to give it a shot. And uh, blue, the Blue Matter recording, the very first episode is actually part of that stretch of practice recordings. But that was the first one where we really felt like we could actually do this. This is publishable. Anyway, what have you been listening to this week, James? I've been listening to The Commodores, for one. Yeah, you recommended them to me. I still need to listen. Yes, Machine Gun. Great album. That album is from 1974, and that's like around the beginning of the disco era. But a lot of it is mostly like classic 70s funk. They're they're in the same vein of like P-Funk, Curtis Mayfield and all those guys. Some 70s James Brown. I've also been listening to a, especially, well really the past couple weeks, a lot of the illustrious queen of soul, Aretha Franklin. I never loved a man the way I love you. Such a soul title. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> it really it, is. It, it is. It's, it's actually very much a blues album. Okay, okay. It, it, of course, it has soul and stuff in it. And there's, it's almost entirely a blues album. And it is fucking wonderful. I can't wait to listen. I've been kind of waiting because I want to get through the other stuff first. Plus, you know, you've been hyping this album up to me for like three weeks now. I mean, I hope it lives up to the expectations. But yeah, you know. I mean, it's Aretha fucking Franklin. How can she not live up to yeah, expectations? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard some of her stuff, mainly what you put on the Soul Fucking Blues playlist, but I don't yeah. think I listened to that album. No, I, I think I put uh, Aretha Now and yeah, 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 yeah. and Lady Soul. And those those are more soul-heavy, more funk. But this is a proper blues album. Yes, yes, very much so. And Aretha can sing the blues. Like, I can't wait, man. It's so awesome. And the other pick will actually be a modern pick. Uh, it'll be my pick because James does not keep up with a lot of modern music. Yes. But yes, the uh, next pick will be Super Champion by Otoboke Beaver. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> this will be uh, James's first proper introduction to modern hardcore punk, and I can't wait. They're, a l- they're kind of fun. Yeah, I, played, fun. I, I had him listen to Don't Light My Fire. Man, we were uh, we were talking about Otoboke on the uh, last Off the Dome episode a couple months ago, and uh, man, Gareth's right. They have so much energy. They have so much presence that it it like makes you it makes you want to puke. That's honestly a great description of how their albums make me feel. <laughs> it just makes you want to fucking get up and run, like, like, like run sprint. and and dive into somebody's car window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But a closed it, like, car window, but I, but I mean that in like the best way possible. Yes, yeah, you that's know, like, a, you. That's when you know it's good punk. Yeah, yeah, no, a lot of a lot of punk music can be really bad and really repetitive, and hardcore punk has definitely earned that reputation. Uh, I love a lot of hardcore punk, but it can be so one note and so obnoxiously high energy that it doesn't work. Ironically, a lot of the long lasting hardcore punk acts and punk acts were the ones who did branch out. Yes. You know, like Bad Brains, Black Flag, Dead Kennedys. There's a lot of really interesting punk music, and that's why I want to talk about it. I know I haven't talked about it yet on the podcast, but 
We will. We will. Um, <laughs> it's funny that the first punk album we'll talk about is Otoboke Beaver. Well, yeah, it just came out like last month, and uh, we we are a little behind on the recordings. I wanted to get about a month ahead on episodes for our own sake. I still wanted to talk about Super Champion. It came out like last month, right? Well, at the time of this recording, it came out like last month. Yeah. Um, and it's a great album. I don't think it's better than Itacoma Hits. Sorry, spoilers, but so fantastic. Also, we'll be pre-ordering that vinyl when it comes out. Unlike Fishman's. I'm sure they make more money, though. They're well, not even really a band anymore, but oh, um, shit. it is so fucking hard to get physicals of Fishman albums. Unfortunate, man. It hurts my soul because, like, I love Fishman's. They're one of my favorite bands of all time. But they were only really big in Japan when they were around. And they were kind of like a cult band in Japan. And only recently they've really gained an internet following and, like, an internet cult following. And they're all rabid and obsessed with Fishman's, like myself. So So they've all just grabbed up all the vinyls. The cheapest long-season vinyl copy I saw was, like, $500. Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, dude. Gucci Camp. I think the cheapest one was like around the same, like 450, 480. The only one I could realistically get right now would be Uchi Nippon Setagaya, and that's still like almost $300. So they had the original pressings, and there weren't many of those. And then they had the repressings in 2016 for the 25th anniversary, and that's it. Well, maybe you have to wait for the 50th anniversary. <laughs> I fucking hope not. Um, <laughs> if I randomly stumble into $2,000 that I don't need, I will probably buy them. But that is very unlikely. Oh, maybe you'll find it on the street in Walmart. The oh, par- yeah. Walmart oh, parking yeah, lot. definitely. You know, <laughs> an obscure Japanese <laughs> reggae dub dream pop band vinyl, you know, and just my fucking Walmart parking lot. Very easy. <laughs> I, I was talking about the $2,000. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, never mind. Man, I just sounded like a fucking asshole there. <laughs> It's all right. But maybe the $2,000 is more likely, actually. It's more likely than finding a Fishman's album in yeah. America. Yes. Uh. Yeah, like, so they actually did a uh, 30th anniversary repressing of the first four studio albums, which, you know, are a mixed bag. I definitely enjoy Orange a lot. I think that album is very underrated by the Fishman's fan base. Disgustingly underrated. Uh, and, you know, Neo Yankees was all right. That's got a few hits. You know, Smiling Days, Summer Holidays, Icaretta Baby. Great songs. Icaretta Baby I go back to that song constantly. Like, it's always in my rotation. How did you find out about Fishman's? How did you get into them? I really enjoy Asian music. Like, I like a lot of modern Asian music, a lot of old school Asian music. You know, one day I was just listening to some Toe. I think I was listening to, like, Elephant Jim and maybe some Trico. And then in my Spotify suggested, uh, Fishman's came up. And I was like, where have I heard that name before? So I went back and looked, and Fishman's has kind of gained this, like, really, really strong cult following on the internet because of uh, albums like Long Season and, you know, their live album, uh, 981228, which is an unbelievable experience. I honestly think it's one of the best live albums of all time. I don't think it's the best, but it's, like, up there. It's incredible. Damn. Of all time. Yes. Period. I'm dead serious. I know that's like a meme in the Fishman's community, but man, something was, there was magic in the air that night. For context, Shinji Sato, the lead singer, he died a month later and it ended up being the final Fishman's performance. Now, originally it was supposed to be a farewell show for their bassist. So they played it with this sense of finality, but little did they know that they were really saying goodbye to Shinji Sato. It's perfect timing, I suppose. Terrible timing. It's a tragedy that Shinji died. No, I mean like... Perfect timing as in they had a great 
magical night just before his death. You know? His death was tragic timing. I'm saying yeah. the show was perfect timing. Oh, yeah. No, the show, like, he gives the performances of his lifetime. He elevates every single track that they play almost beyond the studio versions. Like, there's this cut of long season on there that's like an extra seven minutes, and that is a fucking experience. Well, Mac, you have... Mind-blowing experience. You, Mac, you have hyped this band ever since I've known you, and it is going to be quite an experience to finally really listen to them. Now, the biased superfan in me wants to say that I love all their music, but honestly, their early discography is a mixed bag. We may talk about it, we may not, but uh, their debut, uh, Chappie Don't Cry, I don't particularly care for it. Um, so, Fishman's is a band, they're heavily inspired by reggae. A lot of times... Their more reggae tracks are hit or miss, but Chap You Don't Cry especially. I mean, that's almost a straight-up reggae album. I mean, you know, it's dub, which is, like, in the same neighborhood. I'm not a huge fan of their first album at all. That sucks. I mean, it's okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it, maybe, just because, you know, it's kind of a bizarre, where, <laughs> where the hell are you going to hear that? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, you don't off. I mean, the Japanese have played all kinds of different genres, really. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. You they... Know, they had a big bossa nova wave in the 80s, actually. Yeah, lots of bossa nova, lots of fusion. Jazz and fusion were fucking huge in Japan. It's massive. Hell, a lot of rock is, too. Oh, yeah, math rock is, like, massive in Japan. There are actually a lot of fantastic math rock bands coming out of Japan right now. You know, Trico, Toe, uh, Tide Edit. Garrett actually recommended this band to me the other day that I was kind of blown away by. I'll have to look it up really quick. Polka Dot Stingray. He had me listen to their single "Free," and I was I was impressed. I really, really, really like their guitarist. Uh, did you Did you listen to it? He sent it in the chat. No, I did not. You should check out okay. Polka Dot Stingray. Polka Dot Stingray. Yes. Also check out Trico and Toe. Great bands. Fishman's uh, their second album. So one thing I will say about Fishman's, and I really appreciate about this, they're not afraid to experiment and go in different directions. So their second album is a complete. Tonal change. It's almost like fucking ska punk. I'm confused on the definition of ska. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look up the actual definition. So basically it's a precursor to like Rocksteady and Reggae, which are very heavy influences of the Fishmans uh, as a band, or of Fishmans as a band. It combines a lot of elements of like Caribbean music and a lot of American jazz and rhythm and blues. Okay, so the person who described ska to me was a fucking moron then yeah it uses a lot of like offbeat rhythms and you'll notice that in fishman's music like that that rock steady that reggae yeah influence is plastered all over their music okay you can hear it in tracks like you know baby blue some of the cuts off of orange and even uh even so far as like you know uchu nippon said a guy i mean you know that's mostly a dream pop album but you can still get those hints of that reggae rock steady sound which i enjoy i think they take a really interesting take on it they start to get in more of their like dream pop sound as like the late 90s come around you know orange is kind of a weird spot it's almost like a funk rock album it's very groovy they use a lot of like funk leanings it's almost like a chili peppers album kind of yeah actually kind of yeah weirdly um orange it reminds me a lot of what chili peppers was doing that is exactly 
what the Chili Peppers were. They were a funk rock band. They still have their rock steady uh, reggae leanings in that album, but it's definitely very rock oriented, very groovy. Fantastic album, album all around. You know, I'm, I'm jumping a little ahead of myself here, but uh, I do want to talk about it on the podcast as uh, Garrett and James's first introduction to Fishman's. Yeah, band. That, it sounds like something that I would enjoy. Yeah, you know. As you've probably already figured out by now, they are both very biased towards rhythm sections. Yes. It's got to have the groove, man. Got to have that backbeat. I know. I understand. I'm not saying like... That's what gets me moving, dude. I know. I know. Not everything has to be this grooving, moving, jumping and bumping. That is where you are wrong. <laughs> nah, but uh, yeah, like after Orange, and you kind of get hints of it on like Neo-Yankees holidays, that's where they start to really get into their like dream pop sound. Coochie Camp is a nice blend of their rock steady sound mixed with the psychedelic dream pop stuff. If you were to ask me, like if somebody just cold asked me where to start with Fishman's, I would say Coochie Camp. And it's for that exact reason, because it's kind of like a nice blend of their early sound with what they were moving into as the late 90s progressed. You know, the more like experimental, psychedelic, dreamy, lengthier tracks that they were doing on like Aerial Camp and obviously Long Season. I mean, that's a 35 minute song. They call it an album, but still. Ushunapan said a guy, you know, walking in the rhythm is like 13 minutes. And a lot of the tracks in that album range anywhere from six to eight minutes. Sounds like the classic prog albums from back in the day. All these massive epics. The 90s were a wild time for music, dude. I mean, they really were. Like, you know, everybody's like, oh, the 90s, you know, millennials love the 90s. <laughs> but um, um, a lot of You're right. pivotal and important and groundbreaking music came out in the 90s. The 90s is one of my favorite eras of music. Personally, I think the 2010s is a lot of fantastic music, but also like the 70s, the 90s, 60s, 70s, 60s, 90s, 80s. I mean, every every decade had good stuff. 80s had some gems in it. Plenty like, of gems. Like your girl, Kate Bush. Oh, man. <laughs> Don't even get me started, bro. <laughs> bro. <laughs> no, I love Kate Bush. I'm really glad that she is had a sudden resurgence in popularity thanks to Stranger Things. I think it was running up that hill, you know, that meme where, like, that girl yeah. puts on the headphones. The head, the, and, I don't even know what's going on in the scene because I still haven't seen it. It looks like she's possessed or some shit. Yeah, I mean, I hate to say this, but I've kind of lost interest in Stranger Things after season two. I'm, it's understandable. I don't even remember season but three, it's like, to be it's honest. Like totally I saw my, it. But like, honestly, it's totally, like, my kind of show, you know, like, sci-fi. Like, yeah. You know, a little cute action adventure. It has a retro feel to it and everything. Yeah, I don't know. I just... Great soundtrack. Lost interest. But yes, Kate Bush, you should also check her out. Her discography, like her 80s and like 70s stuff. Hell yeah. Talk to your bro. I'm down, dude. I'll listen to it. No, nah, I mean, if, you know, the, the typical starting point and, you know, the album everybody nuts over is uh, Hounds of Love for good reason. I think it's a classic. I think it's definitely one of the best in her discography. I will leave my other opinions for later episodes. Yes, of course. Yeah, I already kind of gave away a little bit of my feelings on Fishman's, but I just love talking about them. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, we've been doing this podcast for four months now, and I have not mentioned them once. And here you go. So I wanted to get a little bit of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the 90s, they're quite a, quite a decade. You know, you've got grunge, which changed rock forever. Not always for the better. Mac is not the... Biggest fan of grunge. Not as much as I am, at least. I like grunge. I do not like what came after grunge. Okay, then you are a fan of grunge. You just don't like post-grunge, which is not really grunge. I also don't care for 
a lot of grunge, but I mean, I like, you know, the big four, you know, of course. Like, like Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Alice in Chains, and Nirvana. Nirvana, although In Utero is the best Nirvana album. Do not at me. <laughs> You're going to get some heat on that one. Dude, I mean, maybe know, a little. Teen- There's like a lot of people just fucking dick ride the shit out of Nevermind. What, what are your thoughts on grunge, James? I thoroughly enjoy grunge. What man. do you what do you like about grunge? Honestly, it's the rawness and the authenticity. The, the lyrics were so fucking real. It we it was just coming out of the eighties, you know, and it, it it was just so also fake. There was a lot of veneer. It was this like gilded like veneer over everything, over the sound of the music, over the lyrics. So and I'm not saying all 80s music is like this, but a lot of it is. Grunge was this was this response to that. It was like tear all that shit down and just be fucking real. And then it's just all in your face. This is how it is. A lot of those guys came out of the punk scene too. Oh yeah, Kurt a Cobain lot of them. was heavily inspired by hardcore punk. And yeah, on his on his top 50 albums list of all time, he had like raw power. Uh, Black Flag, like two Black Flag albums, actually. Damaged and My War, um, Eye Against Eye by Bad Brains. I think he had a Fugazi album and like a Minor Threat album. He also had Rites of Spring. I was like, whoa, when I saw that. <laughs> but yeah, no, Kurt has, was heavily inspired by punk. Absolutely. And that was a big inspiration to the sound of their band. And not just Nirvana, but a lot of the grunge bands it had this really raw and forceful sound. Like the the drums, I've told you this before. It is my favorite decade for drum sounds. You know, I love 70s and 60s music and stuff, but man, the drum sounds in those eras, they were, especially the 70s, man, it was just so clean. Man, you, you go and listen to Nirvana, especially Soundgarden. Oh man, those drum sounds are amazing. And Rage Against the Machine too. The drum sound on Evil Empire is fucking awesome. That opening track, the drum intro on People of the Sun, it gets me every time. Yeah, aren't you aren't you talking about Rage? Didn't you want to go over like a yeah, couple Rage I'm, albums? I actually wanted to talk about, you know, their debut and Evil Empire. Self-titled. Yeah, self-titled and Evil Empire, of course. We might talk about like Renegade and Battle of Los Angeles. Definitely self-titled though, cuz that that's a classic. Um, are there any albums you are looking forward to or excited about? Are you talking about albums that we're talking about? Both uh, just new, in general, new releases, new releases and uh, yeah. stuff we're going to talk about on the podcast. The last one that interested me at all was the Black Keys album, and I, <laughs> ironically, Bro, that was straight dookie. Ironically, I still haven't even listened to it. We're probably not going to talk about it, but I give that a four and a half out of ten. We'll talk I, about a. <laughs> we'll just, talk about a Black Keys album. Yeah, you know, probably Brothers or yeah, like not El, Camino, not El Camino though. That was trash. No. <laughs> there was a less uh, group. The biggest group, at least, to really play a lot of blues. Yeah, plus a lot of, like, blues tribute acts, I will call them. I'm not crazy about. You were listening to the Fratellis? I'm afraid not, no. This guy I knew in uh, college was a big fan, and I checked him out, and I was just like, man, I am not, I'm not here for it. What, what, what were you, just, like, bored or something? <sighs> yeah, I mean, it sounded like every other blues rock band under the sun. Kind of like Greta Van Fleet. Yeah, exactly like that. Actually, <laughs> exactly like that. Except for blues rock. They they had some good songs and stuff, but it wasn't anything interesting. 
Yes. They're they're a Led Zeppelin cover band. Cold take. Greta Van Fleet is a Led Zeppelin covered band. <laughs> you heard it here on the Cold Take podcast. They're latest in a long line of Zeppelin clones. They're probably the biggest though in recent memory. Yeah, they did they did pretty well for themselves. They're oh. definitely talented musicians. I just wish they would play something else. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm personally, I'm actually looking forward to quite a few things right now. There was talk, well, actually, it's been announced officially, uh, the new Black Thought and Danger Mouse project, Cheat Codes. I'm highly anticipating that. Uh, Black Thought is one of my favorite rappers of all time. I remember you talking about them in the chat. I'm, dude, I'm super hyped. So Danger Mouse hasn't done a hip-hop album since 2005, and that was Danger Doom. I'm I'm super pumped for this because there's also a uh, MF Doom verse on it. He's coming back from the dead. <laughs> Damn. It's like <laughs> no, it was recorded before he died. This apparently this album's been in the works for a hot minute. It'll be releasing in September, so we're still a ways away. But dude, I like the first track I heard off of it. It was a uh, uh, Gold Teeth, bro. That was fire. I sent it in the chat, but I don't think anybody listened to it. But yeah, Black Thought, uh, super slept on. He was uh, one of the main guys from the Roots. Black Thought has never released a solo project in the entirety of his music career. This will be a first, breaking new ground. Yeah, I mean he had the he had the Streams of Thought EPs from like the past couple of years, and those are all fantastic. And it just makes me want to hear a full length from Black Thought finally after all these years. You know, the stuff he did with the Roots. I mean, things fall apart. That's a fucking masterpiece. Shout out to Questlove. Great drummer. Oh, yes. <laughs> do you, wait, do you know who the Roots is? I've heard of them, yes. Yes, dude. Questlove. Yeah, um, I've, I've heard some of their thing, songs and stuff. And of course, I've seen Questlove at, in different projects and doing different things. Yeah, I mean, that guy was all over the place. Yeah, but. he's always been all over the place. The the uh, first time I saw Questlove was uh, on the Chappelle show. <laughs> <laughs> he did a skit with Dave and uh, John Mayer one time. It was funny. They were like playing music in a barber shop. It was it was one of Chappelle's classic skits where he would play different like instruments and different t- kinds of music in different barber shops to just to see the reactions of the people in there. <laughs> <laughs> Black Thought, super slept on. Honestly, one of the best rappers of all time. Like if Of I, all if, time? Yes. If I had to put him in a rap tier list, he would be S. No question. Shit. You will have to make a rap tier list. I mean, I could tell you guys my top five, but what would be the fun in that? How about bottom tier? Bottom tier rappers? I, <laughs> I know we keep fucking shitting on him. Lucy Vert. <laughs> dude i was so i went back and i was like editing all the episodes and i've realized that we brought up Lil Uzi Vert like five times yeah <laughs> like we just relentlessly shit on that man <laughs> i feel bad you know at the end of the day i understand why people like his music i just don't think he's put out anything all that good i mean he's got a you know he's had a single here or there you know i like p's and q's initially when that came out and exo tour life at least until oh my friends are dead god who else would be bottom right now Joiner Lucas. God, there's I'm trying like there's so many fucking shit rappers. Like who's egregiously like the worst? Oh, Machine Gun Kelly. Yeah, MGK. Well, he's not really doing rap anymore, so yeah. I'm gonna scratch that. Jack Harlow. Har- oh yeah, yeah. I don't think he's like the worst thing to happen to rap music, but he's definitely overrated. That man has like the same flow on every song. None of his lyrics are that interesting. I mean, he's had some cute lines here and there. And, you know, he's had a couple of singles I've enjoyed. I was going to say. Churchill Downs wasn't even that good. I, I was going to say, but I won't spoil it. I'll I'll leave it for the album review. Are, are, are we going to review Jack Harlow? Do you even want to talk about it? No, not that. I was talking about uh, Cuddy. All right, listen, man. <laughs> man on the Moon 3 was actually not bad. 
that was a solid album. For Cuddy's problem is he is very inconsistent. Like he's put out he put out some of the worst albums in the 2010s and also some of the best. That, that's impressive. That, that is an achievement. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not the biggest Cuddy fan, but I will acknowledge that he's made good music. You know what? I'm gonna compile a proper list and we are going to discuss I, it. I was gonna say you need to you need to compile a list and we'll discuss it as part of an episode. Yeah, we'll do an episode on a bottom five rappers <laughs> in the game right now. And then top five. Uh, Freddie Gibbs is on that list, by the way. Yes. Have to add the qualifier, in your opinion, of course. In my opinion. <laughs> yeah, well. You suck. <laughs> yeah, well, that's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> well, I guess with that, we'll close out. <laughs> A perfect closer. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to say, James? No, I'm good. All righty. Well, this is Off The Key Podcast. I'm your host, Mac. This is James. This is James. And we're out of here. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs>